Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. I want to begin this morning uh, with a question that has been working on me uh, personally as of late. And I, I would say to you that it's a rather jarring question. Uh, if we are willing to take it seriously. Uh, And the question is this. The question is, why am I a Christian? Uh, Why am I a Christian? Now, by that, I don't mean what is my motivation to be a Christian, uh, like personal personal salvation or forgiveness of sins, but but rather I mean what evidence is there in my life uh, that bears witness to my Christian faith? Uh, What evidence is there in my own life that bears witness to my Christian faith? Uh, That question has been working on me a lot lately. And this morning, I want to invite you uh, to ask that question with me. Uh, And so I want to ask the same question, why are you a Christian? Now, we might say it's because uh, we are a good person, or we conduct our lives with honesty, uh, we use clean language, or we do our best to be a good friend, or a good parent, a good employee, uh, or depending maybe even on the tribe in which you grew up, or the brand of, per- of Christianity that you grew up in, uh, you might say that, uh, you might point out certain things that you don't do that mark yourself as a Christian, like you don't drink alcohol, you don't dance, or you don't watch R-rated movies. Uh, The truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, the answer to this jarring and difficult question, why are you a Christian, might boil down to, I am a good person. And now there certainly isn't anything wrong with that. I I think Christians should be good people. (laughs) And it saddens me that many are not. Uh, But I also believe, and I believe that Scripture bears witness to this, that that there is a deeper reality of walking with Christ than just a surface-level morality. And and one of the best examples of this in Scripture that points us to this deeper reality, this deeper walk with Christ, is John chapter 15. And so I encourage you to take a moment to turn there. Uh, We'll be in John chapter 15 today, the first 17 verses. And uh, I was getting into the habit of doing this before we took a break uh, and went to Africa for a a vacation, so I want to return to this. And and I would invite those of you who are able uh, to stand for the reading of God's Word. And uh, after I I finish with verse 17, I will say, this is the Word of God for the people of God. And then in unison, we can all say back, uh, thanks be to God. Okay, so let's, uh, let's practice. You might be a little bit rusty. So when I count to three, let's say, thanks be to God. One, two, three. I want it to be that strong, okay, Uh, when when we're all done reading. So John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, it says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, but neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in in me. For I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. For I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. For greater love has no one other than this, that he lay down his life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command, for I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. But instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So this is my command. Love one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Yes, good job. (laughs) As many of you know, Amy and I recently returned from a vacation to Africa. Uh, It was a wonderful trip full of new experiences beautiful African landscapes. Uh, We went on a bicycle safari, a canoe safari. Just in case you're wondering, a bicycle safari is exactly what it sounds like, riding a bicycle on the plains of Africa. Uh, A bicycle safari, a canoe safari, and then we hiked three and a half hours into the Buwindi rainforest where we spent time with a family of silverback gorillas. It was truly an amazing experience. Uh, But we also uh, got to spend a few days in the Ugandan capital city of Kampala uh, and experience the culture and city life of Africa. And one of the things that I noticed that is at least on the surface, Uganda is one of the most Christian countries I have ever seen. Uh, Let me explain what I mean by that. If if we were all to transport ourselves uh, this morning to Kampala, uh, skipping the 24 plus hours of travel that it takes to get there, And then we were to drive the busy streets where traffic laws are, I promise you, just suggestions. Uh, Then what we would see is we would see uh, paintings of of Jesus on the side of buildings, uh, often with messages of encouragement to follow God. Uh, And then in the moments where you weren't scared to death of the traffic and you actually had time to look around, you would notice little shops, uh, little storefronts uh, with names that give nod to the owner's faith. Uh, Names of shops like Holy Spirit Electronics, uh, where everything sold in the store has wireless charging. That is very under the radar, but it will be funny this afternoon, I promise. Um, And then also like like God's Protection Mini Mart. Um, And and then you would see just store after store after store with, with any... Uh, any formulation that, uh, uh, of a name that would give nod to the owner's faith. And then as we drive the streets of Kampala, two things would likely stand out among all the busyness of the traffic. Uh, the first thing would be the sheer number of bodas. Bodas are these little motorcycle taxis uh, that weave in and out of traffic and drive uh, literally wherever they want, whether that be on the shoulder, on the sidewalk, if there were a sidewalk, uh, the wrong side of the road, it doesn't matter. 
uh, the, the Bodas go wherever they want. But then you would also notice uh, little Toyota bus taxis uh, crammed full of people. And every bus taxi uh, is decorated to distinguish it from the next. Most of the decorations, though, come with Christian themes. So you would get on a bus named The Way, and you think, I think this is the right bus (laughs) to get me where I'm going. Or you would get on a bus named Beautiful Creation. And so between all of the taxis and the storefronts and the the painted buildings, there were signs and symbols and messages of Christianity literally everywhere in Uganda. The signs of the country's faith were everywhere. This prompted me to ask my sister-in-law, who has lived in Uganda for a few months but has lived in Africa for over 10 years, asked her this question. This was kind of a dorky pastor question. But I asked her this question, is there any evidence that the Christianity that is on display all over the city is being lived out or is having faith so intertwined with the broader culture that there's no functional difference in the lives of people? That's a difficult question to to answer and I I put her in a little bit of of a tight spot with that question. But her answer was this. She said that giving your store or your taxi a Christian name was seen as a way of of earning God's protection over your travel or your profits. And in a culture with such prevalent poverty, I mean, there was poverty everywhere you look. In a culture with such prevalent poverty, the, the The prosperity gospel is the gospel that flourishes. It's the gospel that says, follow Jesus, make him your savior, and then your your taxi will get where it's going safely. No small thing in a culture like that, with traffic like that. Name your store something that gives nod to to Christ, and he will oversee your, your profits and make sure that your profit margins are good and healthy. In other words, it's the prosperity gospel it says, if you just give God props, he will flourish your life. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer here. I should say that I asked a very sweeping cultural question, and I got a very sweeping cultural answer. I am certain, and I met many uh, Ugandan people who are authentically walking in the way of Jesus Christ and have a beautiful faith. Generally speaking, however, there there is a a tip of the hat or a nod to God that he will bless me, protect me, and save me. Now, while American culture has largely moved on from this kind of ubiquitous Christianity, I do believe quite soberingly this morning that there is a Christian subculture that still holds on to this mindset, this mindset that says that God is an accessory that is added to our life in order to protect and provide And isn't it a temptation for all of us to marginalize God just enough that we can give him props or call him out when we need him, but not have any real meaningful connection to him? This morning, I want to use the words of John chapter 15 to call us 
to a deeper faith. To a faith that is, is willing to stare the question, why am I a Christian, right into the eyes and call us beyond a, a, a sort of surface level uh, morality or even call us beyond a, a faith that just gives props to God so that he will protect us and watch over us. I think it's easy to sometimes accessorize our life with the God of the universe. Which I would submit to you today is a bit like uh, having a Mac computer, a brand new Mac computer in your house. That way when your friends come over, uh, you can point at the, Mac, the, the iMac and say, hey, look at us, we just bought this. We're Mac people now. We've made the transition from Windows and we couldn't be happier. Right? And so you can, your friends could come over and, and you could say, you could point to the computer and, and say, we're part, of, we're part of the Mac Club now. Uh, or you might be able to, to go and look at the computer and then uh, you might say, you know what, this Mac is now a part of my life. But having God as an accessory of our life is a bit like bragging about the new Mac computer that you have. But when you go to, to turn it on and send an email or do research on the web or, or uh, write a paper or make a home movie, it never turns on. It doesn't do anything and you, you control alt delete or whatever the Mac version of that is, right? And, and you, you kind of like push the keyboard harder and harder hoping that it will wake up finally and you push this and you're, you're, you're tapping the mouse and you're banging and pretty, you're pretty close to cursing at it and you're like, what's wrong with this thing? It's brand new. I'm a, I'm a Mac person now. You know, this Mac is part of my life. But when you go to do anything with it, all of a sudden you realize it isn't plugged in. And so I want to submit to you today that that a lot of times it's easy for our relationship with God to be like a Mac in the corner of our house that isn't plugged in. It has all kinds of potential and all sorts of power of what it could do, but if it isn't plugged in, it doesn't do any good. And sometimes we use God as an accessory and we think, oh man, it is just full of potential of how God could move in our life and speak in our hearts and lift us up and encourages us, but we're never plugged in to the power of the Holy Spirit because, because we treat God as, as an accessory to our life where we're really never connected. We're never really plugged in. I would submit to you today that God intends for us so much more for our relationship with him than just an unplugged Mac in our living room. In fact, I, I believe that John chapter 15 is just this beautiful picture of an intimacy with, with God, a closeness with God, and it paints this beautiful picture. Jesus is a, is a masterful communicator, employing this word picture of a central vine, a central vine that has many branches. It's a word picture that points us to the close relationship that we are to have, to be connected to the power source as we go about our lives. 
a level of connectedness even that allows God to prune us, to move us, to change us, and to shape us. In fact, you've heard me say this before, but I want to just mention it again. Part of the power and part of the value of of coming into the weekly rhythms of church is is not so much that, uh, that we have an opportunity just to give voice of our praise but, but rather that, that in creating space and room and time in our lives to gather together as a community, what we are essentially doing is we're allowing God to have the pruning activity in our lives. That there's a formational aspect to gathering together as a community and sitting intentionally before the word of God to say, Holy Spirit, what might you say to me today? How might you encourage me and lift me up? How might you challenge me, even convict me? Is there something going on in my life that needs your attention? And if we get involved in such the busyness of our life and, and, and all of these things, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like having a Mac computer that we never sit down and use, right? That, that God, oh yes, he's a part of my life. Yes, I'm part of the God Club. You betcha. But we never are entering into the relationship where God can allow where God can prune us and shape us and move us and change us. And so part of the value of the weekly rhythm of gathering together for worship, again, is not just an opportunity to express my praise to God, but to be formed and shaped by God. Amen? And I, and I stand before you today certainly as, as a preacher, but not as one who, has, who is perfect. In fact, if my own experience of life is anything like yours, I would say it's very, very easy, isn't it? To just get into autopilot in our faith and go years and years and years without any significant movement of God in our life where, where maybe our, our idea of who God is is growing or expanding or where we come into new knowledge and wisdom and insight of, of the character of God or, or the nature of who God is. It, it's so easy in the, to, to sort of have this big growth spurt right after we come to know Christ and we're, we're hungry, but then we just get into the routine and then all of a sudden that's all it becomes is a routine. And we, we begin to say, oh, I've got God figured out. This is what God is like. This is what God does. This is how he works. This is how he speaks. And then we just kind of get into a groove, but pretty soon the groove becomes a rut. And it's a bit like, at first, it's a bit like having a loose outlet where we're plugged in at first, but over time it becomes a little bit looser and looser and then it falls out of the wall and before we know it, we've lost our connection to the power source and we don't know what has happened. It's very easy left on our own to not grow. It's interesting that Jesus would employ a word picture from a garden using the vine. Do you know that both the vine and a rose bush, and we have beautiful rose bushes in our courtyard, thanks to, to Nina and her work and many others that work to maintain our grounds. But did you know that a, a rose bush left all on its own will get scraggly, tangled, and eventually grow in on itself? Uh, that is to say that a beautiful rose bush without care or pruning 
will grow in on itself, block light from itself, and then produce many ugly roses instead of just a few splendid ones. Let me put it this way. Left on its own, a rose bush would prevent itself from being its true self. A rose bush left on its own will prevent itself from being its true self. Aren't we a lot like a rose bush? Aren't we a lot like, if we don't intentionally stay connected to the main vine, stay plugged into the power source of who God is, that, that we'll eventually well, we'll eventually grow in on ourselves. We'll, we'll begin to be more selfish. We'll begin to uh, accumulate more and more. We'll, we'll tend to protect ourselves, not with the trust in who God is, but with things. And the more things we can have, the safer we feel, the more money we have and this and that. And it's not bad to have things. It's not bad to have money. But, but it is when it becomes idolatrous, when it just grows in on ourselves and we lose sight of who God is and we lose sight of our relationship and commitment to him. And I would submit to you that even though we don't live in an agricultural culture anymore, I think that we intuitively know what Jesus is talking about when he talks about this kind of connection between the true vine, the main vine, and all of the branches. We intuitively know about that because there are usually things or people in our lives to whom we are deeply connected and from whom we draw our strength. That ultimately what this word picture is doing is that it is saying that we ought to be drawing our strength from God. And we intuitively know what this is like because all of us draw our strength from somewhere. Right? And so in strong marriages, husbands and wives might say that they draw strength from one another in times of difficulty. And I can tell you this is true. There are times when I have been absolutely at the end of my rope and without an encouraging word from Amy, I don't know if I would have been able to go on. But she has been, I've been able to draw strength from her and hopefully her from me. Right? This is part of the beauty of what God is doing in the marriage relationship is he's giving us a picture of what it means to be in intimate connection with another human being that we can draw strength from them. And, and God in Christ in, this, in John chapter 15 is saying your relationship with God ought to be the same. In fact, your relationship with God ought to be the reality to which the marriage is pointing you to. That, that the marriage ought to be a, an illustration or a metaphor or a shadow of the real thing. And so marriage is a gift that points us to true dependence and drawing strength from God. We might also say, some might say that they draw their strength from their job. That there is, that, that the accomplishment of a project well done or the satisfaction of, of, of feeling needed, for, for many folks it's that, uh, that sense of accomplishment, that sense of feeling needed that, that draws them, that gives them strength. That if there were ever a time in their life where they felt like, you know what, I wasn't absolutely needed or mission critical to this, they wouldn't even feel like they're alive because they're drawing all their strength from their job. Now, I think certainly work is a gift from God, and we can do it for God's glory, but again, out of balance. We can, if we are drawing all of our life from feeling needed or being busy, then we can struggle and we can recognize 
that maybe we're not connected to the vine. Maybe we're not plugged into the source. If you're here today and the idea or the principle of Sabbath runs just cross-grain to your life and you you don't know how to or don't feel like you can slow down long enough to just take your hand, I'm gonna use an old metaphor here, but to take your hand off the plow, then there's a pretty good chance that you might be finding your life in your job or through your work. Now, we ought to work hard. We ought to work hard for God's glory. But that, even that can get out of whack. Now, certainly no one would probably be willing to admit this, but it's possible that we draw strength from our addictions, that when life is hard or busy or challenging, we turn to that habit or that substance that brings comfort and gives us the ability to keep going. I mention all of that just simply to say that even though this is an old metaphor about vines and branches and we don't live in an agricultural culture anymore, uh, I, I, want to, I want to submit to you today that I believe that intuitively we know what Jesus is talking about when he talks about this kind of, uh, of strength connection uh, because all of us draw our strength from somewhere. And, and the shift that John chapter 15 is inviting us to make is to turn to him, to turn to the true vine, to turn to God as the source of our strength. And what, he, what the promise is and what the truth is is that when we do that, we will allow him, when we allow him to prune us and to shape us, because guess what? When a branch is truly connected to the vine, it doesn't fear the vine. It's not afraid of what the vine might do, but, but see, it's, it's connected and it realizes that the vine has its best interest at mind. And so when we're connected to the true vine, God prunes us and shapes us and then our lives bear tremendous fruit. And I want to submit to you today that the best way to do that, the best way to stay connected to the true vine is to put into place practices in your life that will help you encounter the living Christ and draw strength and encouragement from him. Now, I'm not going to tell you what practices those ought to be today. I'm not going to sit here and say you ought to, be, you ought to have a spiritual journal because guess what? I've tried to journal for years. It never works. It just doesn't fit in my personality, but some of you couldn't know, wouldn't even know what your relationship with God looks like without a journal. So I'm not going to tell you what those practices ought to be or when they ought to be, but rather simply to say that the way to stay connected and plugged into the power of God is through practices that will allow us to encounter him and draw strength from him. To go back to my marriage metaphor, there is, man, if Amy and I go a month or two or three without a date, guess what? It's very difficult for us to draw strength from one another because we just, we're just doing life. We're just like well-organized roommates, <laughs> right? And, and we don't want that to happen, of course. And so we need to stay connected to one another that then we can draw strength when we need it. And that's a perfect reality, too, for our relationship with God. We need to stay connected with God through spiritual practices that we can draw strength and power from God when we need it. That is to say that spiritual practices are not drudgery that we have to do in order to free ourselves from guilt. Man, can I tell you how many times I've been there in my life? I need to pray more. Why do you want to need to pray more? So I wouldn't be so guilty. (laughs) Right? So spiritual practices aren't, uh, aren't, 
obligatory to, so that we can free ourselves from guilt, but rather spiritual practices are a way to plug into the power of the presence of God. Amen? So prayer, scripture reading, reflection, silence are all like plugging in your Mac computer. And then, strengthened by the Spirit, we can walk in the distinctive ways of Jesus. I'll say that again. Connected to the true vine through spiritual practices. And then, strengthened by the Spirit, we can walk in the distinctive ways of Jesus. If you are connected to the Spirit of Christ, your life will bear fruit. But not just generic fruit. Your life will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to I suggest to you today that the fruit of the Spirit go way beyond surface-level morality. Do you remember where we started this morning? Why are you a Christian? Our answer is often, well, I just do the right thing. I have kind of this surface-level morality thing going on. I would hope that it would be true for us that when we ask ourselves the difficult question, why are you a Christian, that the answer would be, because my life bears the fruit of the Spirit. And all along with that, I live a good and moral life. Yes, of course. But more than that and deeper than that, I bear the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit will lead you to a spiritual and emotional maturity so that your life bears the splendid rose from a bush well pruned and a vine well cared for. Yes, the world could use more Christians who are good people, but more than that, what the world needs is Christians who bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. For against these things, there is no such law. These are the forces that will change the world. These are the things that will speak prophetically to the people around us. And so the key characteristic pointed out in our passage this morning is love. The, the thought closes after speaking about a connection to the vine, and we are the branches. In other words, let's understand our role, right? What are you in this picture? Are you the hero of the story, or is God? Are you the true vine, or are you a branch? Let's understand our role and who we are. But then what it says, the, the, that whole section ends with, love one another. And so it raises up the fruit of the spirit of love, that we are encouraged to remain in God's love, to demonstrate our love for God through obedience, and then to allow that love to pour out to other people and all of humanity. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, don't you? I think there's a lot of wisdom in first saying, remain in my love. Remain in my love. Be absolutely confident of God's undying, unwavering love for you. And then, as you are made confident in God's love, you love him in return, right? That's the natural response. A love that is not conditional. A love so unconditional as God's love for us. The only proper response is to love in return. To worship, to praise, to give honor and glory back in return. And so it says, so demonstrate that love, not just through the singing of songs, but through obedience to me. Remain in my love. 
Demonstrate your love for me through obedience. And then pour out your love for other people. I don't think that order is accidental. But rather, I think that there's tremendous wisdom in that. Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that if as Christians and as the people of God, if we unplug from the source, if we don't stay connected to the true vine, we, what we end up doing is we are just scrambling around, doing our best, trying to be good people, but we're doing so in our own strength. And what ends up happening is we end up being a rose bush that gets so tangled and scraggly looking that we fail even to be our true selves. Another way of saying that is this. I believe it's possible to live a moral life on the surface and be bankrupt of love. I want to say that again. I believe it's possible to live a moral life on the surface and be bankrupt of love. And so I return to our original question. Why are you a Christian? I warned you at the beginning it was a jarring question if we were willing to take it seriously. But we return here. Why are you a Christian? What evidence is in your life that bears witness to your faith? I believe that allowing John 15 to be our guide, the answer is that we stay connected to the vine and that our lives are defined by love and the fruit of the Spirit. May that be true of us this morning. I'm going to close with this final thought. I have, this, is a, this is a crazy time to be alive in our country. <laughs> and, and can I be honest with you for a moment? It, it is a time that I find tremendously difficult to be a pastor. Uh, of how in the world do you provide spiritual leadership to people as we navigate the, the landscape of all that is going on with, with racial tension and political divide and all the things that are happening. But one of the things that I have noticed is, is this. If Christianity is reduced to moralism, uh, then we shortchange the power of the gospel, not only in our own lives, but also in the world. If Christianity is reduced to moralism, then we shortchange the power of the gospel in our own lives, but also in the world. And so in a world with so much pain, division, violence, and hate, uh, the people of God need to bear witness to the power of the Spirit in our lives in order to demonstrate that the forces of love, forgiveness, and mercy are the forces that change the world for the better. Amen? That we need, we need to be the people that more than anyone else bear witness to the reality and the truth that the forces of love, forgiveness, and mercy are the forces that change the world for the better. And I, I would submit to you again and just remind us again as we've gathered before the cross of Christ this morning, I want to remind us again that this is, of course, what Jesus Christ does for us and demonstrates to us on the cross. That Jesus, seeing the task before him, drew his strength from his connection to the Father and then walked resolutely to the cross, his own crucifixion, his own violent and brutal death. 
And there, he was, he was victimized by violence, hatred, betrayal. All the sin of the world poured out upon him. And he could have easily responded with vengeance. He, he could have easily called out the angels to rescue him from that peril. But instead, what does he do? In the, the dr- most dramatic change and action that has changed the world, Jesus Christ upon the cross, taking on all the violent sin, hatred, betrayal of the world, responds with forgiveness and love and the world has never been the same it is forgiveness that changes the world it is love that changes the world God in Christ churns hate into love through forgiveness Brian Zahn says this well let me preface this quote Oftentimes, we're given a picture of the, the cross of Christ and the atonement that, that in order to forgive, God had to have a, a, a blood debt paid. Um, but the thing about that is, is that if a debt is paid, it hasn't really been forgiven. <laughs> uh, if something is appeased, there isn't real forgiveness. Forgiveness is absorbing the offense, not, uh, not uh, taking some other payment for the offense. And so we need to begin to, to sort of reframe our understanding of the gospel that, that what Jesus is doing on the cross is, is far more beautiful than just, uh, than, than just playing, paying a, a, a blood guilt or a blood debt off for God in our behalf. But rather we need to understand that what's happening on the cross is that we see the power of love and forgiveness at work to change the world. So Brian Zond, pastor and author, says this. He says this in his new book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. He says, The cross is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order to forgive. The cross is what God endures in Christ as he forgives. I I want you to hear that because this gives us an absolutely beautiful picture of the character of who God is. The cross is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order to forgive. But the cross is what God endures in Christ as he forgives. And it was this act of forgiveness and this act of love that has forever changed the world. And guess what? The people of God are called to embody that same kind of love and forgiveness. But in order to do so, we have to be plugged in to the power of God and connected to the vine. Because I don't know about you, but I apart from my connection to the vine, am not capable of that kind of love or that kind of forgiveness. And so God calls us to something. In his wisdom, he calls us to something that requires that we stay connected to him. Because what God wants more than anything is a beautiful relationship with each of you. That God invites us in love to say, come and be connected. 
For I am the true vine, and you are the branches. May our lives be defined by love. My encouragement to you today is to ask maybe another difficult question. And that is the question, where do you draw your strength? What is the vine in your life? And then upon discernment and and prayer and wrestling with that question, then move to what changes need to take place in order to connect you to the vine who is Christ, that we might live in him and bear the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? I want to say a word of prayer, and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word from John chapter 15, this beautiful word picture that that challenges us, and yet at the very same time encourages us, moves us forward and moves us on. And so God, today, would you, as, a, as we gather together in a community, recognizing, God, that you are doing something among all of us, but also you're doing something uniquely in each of us. Uh, Lord, would you speak to us, each one, and, and, and reveal to us what are some things, uh, adjustments, tweaks that we need to make in our lives in order to stay truly connected to you. For God, your call to love, to forgive, to bear the fruit of your spirit requires that we stay connected to you. We, we don't have the strength, God, to do it on our own. We, we confess that today. Um, and so, Lord, speak to us, show us um, what we need to do in response to the proclamation of your word today. And God, we believe that your spirit is freely at work in this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.